Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith, and this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 32. Hey man. <laughs> Let's start over. <laughs> Say welcome to episode 32. Okay. So welcome to episode 32. 32. <laughs> that was Let's our second over. take. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to episode 32. Hello. <laughs> Let's start over. No, then actually don't edit any of these. Like keep them all and you guys can see what it's like. Behind the seat. Let's pull back the curtain. Jen so you guys can see how we start out. Has panic over how she starts every episode. I don't like it. I don't like being put I'm I would never be good at improv. No, that's I why I be. start it, because I don't want to have to think of a oh, thing to say. I'm not good at it, dude. That's why I like I'm like I panic order food. Like oh, me when too. people I like and when you have to walk up and order, I freeze and then I just say like like what I think they want me to say. Yeah. No, like, I'm the worst at ordering. I, I always know. Ben is always like, you got to You got to quit. You got to let me just order for you because you never said that to me too. Because yeah, I'll like, it'll come and I'll be like, you like, you don't like three things on that plate. I know. I'm like, I know, but it sounded like a thing. I she's like, just you know, breakfast. I'll be like, just order the pancakes. You want the pancakes? It's so much pressure. Do you know what Zach does that drives me cuckoo? Is he always goes? What's the best thing on your menu? <laughs> what do you think I should order to the server? And like, as someone that used to wait tables, yeah. I'm like, God, that's so like, it drives me nuts. He's like, oh, and also I'm vegan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What do you think I should order? Also. I'm vegan, and I don't like half the things you're going to say. We're um, like, he always says, when they order a beer, uh, like when he's at a bar, he always goes, surprise me. Oh, no. And it's, but then he's like a beer snob. Yeah. Like, he loves, like, craft beer, and you can see the panic in their eyes when they're like, just anything. And he's like, yeah, surprise me. I'm sure I'll like it. It's like, there's literally 7,000 beers on our craft beer list, dude. Like, yay. Uh, hey, funny. tell us if you like that. Yeah. I'm always curious. If you're a server, do you like it? Or a bartender, do you like it when people say, bring me whatever? Oh, yeah. Like, give me a recommendation. I bet if you are really, like, say you work at, like, a like a, a craft beer bar, and you have to be really knowledgeable about beer to work there. Yeah. You probably do enjoy when somebody's like, hey, I like, I like beer. Tell me your favorite beer. Yeah. But like I've been a server and I'm just like, I'm just going to tell you the thing that they told me to push at the beginning of the night. Yeah. Because it's probably going bad. So. It's just like, dude, I got a lot of tables and I'm on autopilot right now. And now you want me to decide like. You want me to size up a complete stranger and try to figure out what kind of palette right. you like, like you have? It's, it's too much. Zach. It's too much. It's too much, Zach. Zach, But you prove me wrong. If, if there are people out there that love it, tell us. Because yeah. Zach would love nothing more than for you guys to prove. He thinks that people love it. I think people hate it. You tell us. I bet it's a mix. I bet it's a mix. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, let's get into some quick A's. Quick A's. Okay. I'm first. Okay. So I think, Jen, you'll relate to this one. Mm-hmm. And actually, I have a question for you. 
What is the craziest thing you found in somebody's apartment after they've moved out? After they've moved out? Yeah. I think the weirdest thing that I've seen is just like, like it's weird when you see apartments, they're all like the same floor plan and to see the way different people live. Yeah. And so you'll go in one apartment and it's like, it looks like something out of West Elm ad. Right. And then you go into another apartment that's right next to it. And, and then, and the tenants are all like this kind of the same urban professional, whatever. Right. And then there'll be an apartment next door that just has a mattress on the floor and a bucket next to it. (laughs) And it's just the weirdest thing. Yeah. Like people just live so differently. Yeah. And it's always the most beautiful put together girls with like the cutest outfits and long flowing beautiful hair dressed to a t yeah because i'm thinking of one person in particular so i'm like her hair was long and beautiful (laughs) but you go in her apartment and the whole thing smells like cat piss and there's like cat vomit and kitty litter all over the place and clothes everywhere and it's disgusting yeah i knew a woman like that and it makes me think like when i think of this girl and when people are always like oh how is this person single they're funny and gorgeous and young and (laughs) and they're fun it's like well maybe when they bring people over they have cat vomit everywhere yeah oh gross maybe that's it (laughs) maybe Um, they live in literal piss and shit so yeah why why do you ask why do i ask well i'm just wondering okay (laughs) no reason um no well so my quickie today is about a utah apartment complex manager grew worried because one of his building's tenants like wasn't responding to emails and so he sent a maintenance worker to go check and he knocked on the door and um, couldn't get a still no answer from this woman who was 75 years old her name was Jean Soren Mathers so he called the police authorities went in and they found Jean dead oh so they entered the apartment, and the discovery prompted detectives to wonder whether foul play was involved. It wasn't. She apparently died of natural causes. But what they found next was pretty crazy. Uh, they started looking around the apartment. They opened up a deep freezer, and they found an unidentified male <gasps> who's dead. This is a quickie? This is a quickie. Oh, my God. So in the freezer was the fully intact body of this woman's husband, (gasps) Paul Mathers. So and that wasn't all. They also found a notarized letter from Paul stating that. Permission slip. Like, you may freeze my dead body. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm kidding. Stating that his wife wasn't responsible for his death. (gasps) And, um, And so... They actually believe that Paul Mathers had been dead for 10 years. Holy fuck. How do you unpack that literally and figuratively? <laughs> Holy shit. Because, so he was a veteran, and so they think that he, he was like, look, you need this money from Social Security oh. and, and the VA. And so they actually think he died between February and March of 2009 because he had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and was being treated at the VA. And then they was last seen there on February 4th. And so before he died, he wrote a letter saying that his wife was not responsible for his death. And the letter was notarized in December of 2008. So they had obviously agreed on this and they tracked down the notary. What kind of a notary did this? Well, she said she didn't read 
they didn't she didn't read it she just notarized that he had signed it wow and she stamped it and signed it and then she died wow they found his body isn't that crazy that is crazy to be like oh this little old woman she's we gotta go check on her and then you find her husband in her deep freeze and she's like i mean i didn't it wasn't me it was he was him oh my god and so she'd been like getting i mean which is also illegal but she did now so she got who cares who cares i wonder did they have children it doesn't say, so I'm guessing no. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah. But I mean, I also kind of understand that. Right? Yeah. You're like, I mean, this little lady, she needed the money, and it's like, he did, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah. But she lived for 10 years crazy. with his body in the deep freeze. Jeez. Fully intact. So that was a big deep freeze. Yeah, in an apartment. In an apartment, too. That's what's crazy. That's it's really, like, yeah, like that kind of square footage. Yeah. <laughs> That's the craziest part of the story. That's the craziest part of the story. <laughs> it um, was also her table. She just, had a, she just had a cloth on top of it. No, I don't know that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you ready for a my quickie? Uh-huh. This is so not as interesting as a dead body in a freezer. Pretty Everything interesting. Is interesting in its own way, Jen. Yeah, this is like... This is pretty interesting. Okay. Did did you have a wedding photographer? Probably. Did you have like we, wedding photos? Yes, but it was a friend of Ben's who'd never done a wedding before. Mm-hmm. We were young and dumb. Yeah. Cheap. We, uh, our, <laughs> I wasn't crazy about our photographer either. It was yeah. a long story, but we almost got married in Florida because that's where our parents wanted us to get married. And then we hired a photographer from Florida. And then when we changed it to New Orleans, where we actually wanted to get married, yeah. we felt bad like let, telling the photographer in Florida that like we didn't need them anymore. Yeah. So we were like, we'll pay for you to come to New Orleans. <laughs> and they were the nicest couple, but our photos were just like, not great. Yeah. But it's fine. Like the, our wedding was amazing and the experience was amazing. And like that's enough of a memory. It's okay. Yeah, no, that's how I feel too. Yeah. I, I wish we had better photos. I don't blame the photographer. He just, I mean, we were like, you can do it. He was like, I don't, I've never really done it before. We're yeah. like, come on. And I mean, he took beautiful, like, photojournalist photos. There's always, like, beautiful stills of things, but, like, of people. It's, yeah. Yeah. And pictures I'm like, are different now than they were then. I yeah. Feel I'm like, like right, there's also- right after I got married is when, like, Wedding dresses became stunning. Right. <laughs> like photo albums became dope. Yeah. Like I feel like we got married right before like everything got real Oh cold. yeah. Yeah. No, I was was 100% DIY. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amy Blankovich mm-hmm. and her husband got married in the Dominican Republic. Hired a professional photographer. They had the photos mailed to them from the Dominican Republic. So for yeah. 2 months she like waited for these pictures to show up. Yeah. But unfortunately, they never got the photos because it just, it said that it was delivered, but when they looked it up, it they didn't have it. And then when they looked up on their porch camera, they saw that there was a man that, like, basically a porch pirate, yeah. what they're called, like, came up, rang the doorbell, nobody answered, and then he left. And so they were heartbroken because they were like, you know, this means nothing to you like these photos mean nothing to you but they mean so much to us Mm -hmm. you know these are our wedding photos this is an article from wwlp.com so they went on television and then amy's husband also posted the man's photo to social media hoping that somebody would recognize him but they went on tv saying like please 
I don't know why or who or what, you know, there's no reason. Please just drop them off. God bless you and thank you. Like just drop off the photos. You know, normally in a situation like that, people would just like throw the photos out a car window right, and be like, like this never is valuable. Yeah. Forget it. But apparently the guy the thief saw it on television and I mean, that's felt crazy so bad. Who watches local news? I know. It's crazy. I don't know if he saw it on Facebook or if he saw it on the news. Yeah. But something compelled him and he actually they show they see it on camera. They see the man like pull up and then he threw the books on the back porch and then he ran into a car that was waiting for him around the corner and he took off. That's crazy. So they still don't know who this man was, but yeah. the man found it in his heart to He's be a thief like, with a heart of gold. A thief with a heart of gold. He is yeah. a romantic. He's a dumb yeah. dumb maybe. He is a dumb dumb baby. Did you say a dumb dumb baby? <laughs> no dumb dumb maybe. Oh. Like He's a dumb dumb baby. He's a dumb dumb baby. Um yeah, so my quick is very quick, but it really I thought it was really cool to see that someone actually had yeah, a heart yeah. and would, took the time to bring back somebody's wedding photos. Like, that's really special. Yeah. Can I ask you another question? Yeah. Do they not have, like, email? Like, why can they get the files digitally? Oh, my God. Was this, like, the only copy? of, Or were they just like, oh, we paid a lot and they were mailed? You know, you're right. Like, maybe they just paid this a lot for the, the wedding albums. the dumbest story I've ever done. Because <laughs> why didn't they just go to the photographer? I can't believe that... I didn't think of that. Well, I'm sure... And these people didn't think of that. Like, my friend Virginia is a photographer, and she does weddings sometimes, and she said that, you know, wedding books, to put them together and to retouch all the photos and... That and the, print them out, and, like, yeah, what that, if it was, like, in a fancy book? Yeah, yeah. that they're, those are actually, like, very expensive and they're time consuming so i can see that you would be like oh i just paid whatever i don't know a thousand dollars for this book and now somebody took it in as my wedding photos i mean i can understand why they were upset i was just like it's not like everything's lost yeah yeah but still that's a bummer and also uh but has and great what has been regained (laughs) is my faith in humanity oh that's so nice (laughs) would you like me to destroy it with a heart of gold (laughs) yeah 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 with your crazy story let's hear it all right okay jen okay sally this is my crazy story i got information from murderpedia yeah from the tennessean oh and yeah from knoxnews.com um an article by scott baker okay okay on the morning of august 9th 2005 jennifer hyatt sat in her blue ford explorer outside of the roan county courthouse she would she would. <laughs> Sounds like her. <laughs> Sounds exactly like a Jennifer Hyatt thing to do. <laughs> so she had actually been at the courthouse with her husband because George, who had pled guilty to armed robbery, and when he had said the words guilty, she had stormed out of the courthouse because I think she was Ooh. hoping that he would fight the charges. Although George had already been in prison, so he wasn't like this was he was in prison. He was this was another charge that Aye, he yeah yeah so. When Jennifer stormed out of the courthouse, George started like tearing up watching his wife. He got very emotional. And one of the prison guards, this man named uh, Wayne Cotton Morgan, leaned over and comforted him and was patting him on the back and telling him that it would be okay. So Jennifer watched from her car as George came down the steps with the prison guards on each side who were getting ready to take him back to prison. And then she pulled up to the Tennessee Department of Corrections transport van. She jumped out with a gun in her hand, and George yelled, shoot him, 
Oh my God. And Wayne Morgan turned around, grabbed at the gun, and she shot him. She then fired at the other prison guard, Larry Harris, but she missed. And then while Harris returned shots at her, George broke free, dove into the Ford Explorer, and then when the shooting had stopped, Wayne Morgan lay on the ground dying, and Jennifer and George sped off, bleeding from a gunshot wound that she had to the back, her back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Her butt. It was her butt. It wasn't just why her back. Why did you just, why are you protecting her? I know. Say I was butt. like, to the, I was going to say to the back of her leg. To her back side. To the back of her leg upper division. <laughs> <laughs> it was her butt. Wayne Morgan would later die from his wounds oh, on the way to the hospital. God. Yeah. So Jennifer Hyatt was born in 1974 in Emory County, Utah. She says that her first memory was attending her parents' divorce hearing. And after that, she and her younger sister spent their time going back and forth between their parents' houses. Dad was a sheriff's deputy, and she was like a typical cop's kid, just like always in trouble. Mm -hmm. At 15, she started partying and dating older boys. Um, Her senior year in high school, she met her first husband, They got married at 18 when she was three months pregnant, and she says that she caught him with another woman the night before the wedding, but went through with it anyway. I know. And she ended up having three kids with him, but the marriage was like trouble from the beginning, obviously. So they both used drugs. They drank heavily. Her husband ended up going to prison after being arrested on drug charges. Yeah. Meth. It was meth. Sounds like a methy thing. Yeah. And she says that she was... um, she did a lot of coke, and that, she, but she ended up getting clean when she came home after like a 24-hour coke binge to find her kids staring at her oh like they didn't God. know who she was. <gasps> and so she cleaned herself up. She got married again. This time she was the one who was started cheating on her husband immediately after the wedding with one of his friends. Yeah. And then after her second husband left her, she decided that she was ready for a new start. And so a friend of hers lived in Nashville and had kept inviting her to come visit. And so Jennifer flew to Nashville and says she immediately fell in love with Tennessee. So she went home, she packed up her belongings and her kids, and on September 15th of 2001, which is like, what a a time to move, they moved to Big Sandy, Tennessee. So once in Tennessee, Jennifer really did get her act together. She enrolled in school, and in 2004, she earned a diploma as a nurse. And then she got a job as a nurse at the Northwest Correctional Complex in Tiptonville, Tennessee. And that is where she met her soon-to-be husband, George Hyatt. Oh, no. And she was attracted to George immediately. The two started a relationship, and just a couple months later, she was fired when they found out about the relationship because she was sneaking him food. But they were in love, and so they kept their relationship up, and on November 30th of 2004, they applied to the chaplain of the prison for permission to marry, and they got married on May 20th. Jennifer described her relationship as celestial love. Sure it was. (laughs) She said she and her husband were more than soulmates. They were two halves of the same soul. Oh, my God. Several weeks before the shooting, she had called her father, the former police officer, to ask about how, like, how would I get a handcuff key? And she told her father that George was about to get out of prison, even though he was only two years into a 41-year prison sentence. Oh, my God. Her father thought the information sounded suspicious, and maybe she thought, well, maybe she's going to try to, like, pass him a key. But so her father actually shared the information with the Department of Corrections in Utah, but they never passed the information along to the authorities in Tennessee. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
Okay, so George Hyatt was just 34 years old at the time, and he already had like a decades-long record of for robberies and escapes. He had actually, this was the escape with Jennifer was the fifth time he had gotten away from law enforcement officials. Oh my God, Yeah, slippery. Right? The other escapes were from local authorities in East Tennessee in 1990, 1991, 1998, and 2002. And during the escape in 2002, George and another prisoner had escaped from the county jail after threatening guards with a homemade knife made out of toothbrushes and a razor blade. And when guards turned over the key, they were like, give us your keys. So they gave the keys to the inmates and then they used the keys to beat another officer until he was unconscious. Oh my God. And the escape ended a few days later when the two were captured in Florida. And another time that he escaped, he would escape from a patrol car and with another, a different woman's help um, after a convenience store robbery. And he was found the next day outside of at a home outside of town, he was like under a pile of clothes. Oh my and God. Found him. Yeah. So George's parents had also divorced when he was young and he moved between the homes of relatives and state custody for years. He first entered the court system when he was nine for school truancy and unruly behavior. And then by the time he was 17, he had already been through a treatment program for alcohol and drug abuse. And then after he dropped out of school, he started just getting in big trouble for burglary, theft, armed robbery, and for striking an officer. He was acquitted of aggravated rape. At a pre-sentence report in 1993, when he was just 21, he was described as a repeat offender with little work history and a tendency towards violence. Um, sounds celestial. Right? Sounds amazing. I don't know why. <laughs> and and you think like, oh, he must be like amazing looking. But he's this kind of like short, weird looking dude. Like Ugh. he's not, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, whatever. Love's blind. So I'm James, stupid. this guy, James Polk, who had been George's public defender, described him as a smooth talker. He said in court, he said, yes, sir, no, sir, and please. And he always had this look about him of who me as if he was wrongly accused. And he also said, oh, yeah, he, George also had a previous relationship with another nurse and says he was kind of a ladies man. After the shooting, Jennifer and George drove to a nearby Subway sandwich shop. Where they wanted to eat fresh, where they abandoned her Ford Explorer and got a gold Chevy minivan that had actually been reported stolen from one of her patients in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And then about four hours later, they stopped at a Lowe's in Florence, Kentucky, uh, where they bought a hacksaw, apparently to cut off his shackles. And then they rented a room at the Econo Lodge about a mile away in a town called Erlinger, which is all like right outside of Cincinnati. And then she dyed her hair in the sink. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Of course she did. And then she dyed her hair black, her blonde hair black, and cut Cut it it off. off. Yep. And then she looked like a totally different person with a baseball hat on. And then they called a cab. (laughs) And they took it from like right outside Cincinnati to Columbus, Ohio, which is like about 115 miles. And they told the cab driver, they're like, oh, yeah, our car broke down, but we're headed to an Amway convention. And he says that he became suspicious because they didn't act like Amway representatives. (laughs) (laughs) He said, Amway people are all about Amway. And they didn't try to... They didn't try to sell me Amway. Oh, my God. He said, I pretty much thought... I pretty much thought, well, they're not with Amway. They're doing something else. Oh, my God. That is is like a fuck you of like... He he used to work for Amway or like he used to date somebody that worked for Amway and just had to like work that dig in there somewhere. It's a done selling it. Amway worker because like, tell you what <laughs> yeah he was like yeah they can't no. shut the fuck up about that. 
That's so funny. But he said that he was like, other than the Amway thing, I didn't really think anything of it other than like it was a really long drive. He dropped them at a budget motel in Columbus and the fair was... Did she dye her hair again? (laughs) She didn't. I wonder how many like budget motels like daily just find like boxes of hair dye and right. these things they're like god <laughs> damn it i used to when i was <laughs> traveling um when i was like on the road all the time i used to i would dye my hair at hotels you because would? well yeah because of like i had so much time to myself that's true and it takes a while and i just be like yeah, i'll just do it while i'm like here during the day waiting to go to a show that makes sense and you don't want to mess up your own bathroom well exactly yeah and so <laughs> i'm like i'm gonna do it in the piece of crap motel this comedy clubs put me up in and uh yeah and then, so they probably were like my god that girl <laughs> <laughs> although mine were like subtle highlights yeah <laughs> i didn't look like a different person so authorities knew that they had made it to the interstate in a gold minivan but after they got the van they had no idea where they had gone next so they actually asked the public for any kind of information that could help them and warn people not to approach approach them because they were like, they are could be armed, dangerous, and desperate. And so law enforcement went to Georgia's hometown and put lookouts there in case they decided to like flee to relatives. And they had his family make a televised plea for George and Jennifer to turn themselves in. And his mom, like, she's just like, I just want to tell my son, if you can hear me, George, give yourself up. Son, please turn yourself in. It's so sad. I'm just like, oh, poor mom. Meanwhile, so they had found, they eventually found the abandoned van in Kentucky. And so when the cab driver got back home, he was like talking with a friend. It was all over the news that Mm. this fugitive couple. So, but he was like, oh yeah, this, a gold van was found and it was like a couple, whatever. And he was like, what, what the Amway couple and so he actually the cab driver called police and told them his suspicions and then told them the name of the hotel which was America's best value in and my bet it's a great value <laughs> and told them like that Jennifer had dyed her hair from black for, to black from light blonde and that she was walking with a limp when she got out of the car oh, she shot in the butt she was shot in the butt so a SWAT team gathered and police tracked down the couple at the motel and this U.S. deputy, deputy marshal, Nikki Ralston, called their second floor room and then she did some really great police work. Yeah. She said, she said a female on the phone and I said, hey, Jennifer. And she said, yes. And then I knew I had her. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I knew. That's when I knew all my training came in. (laughs) Oh my God. So basically she just said, I need you to get George and both of you need to exit the hotel and follow the direction of the officers. And then Jennifer was like, okay. And then so she came out and she was limping as she left the room and she had her hands up yelling, baby, baby, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And then George came out. He had his hands up and his shirt over his head. And then the marshal said that Jennifer Hyatt was very apologetic during their conversation because she rode with her to the hospital for treatment for a gunshot wound. Uh And in the hotel room, she said she just didn't, Jennifer said she just didn't want anybody to get hurt. She just wanted to be with him. So in the hotel room, they found weapons, junk food wrappers, and a teddy bear. So there you go. Oh, I bet he bought her a gas station teddy bear to be like, thank you for murdering for me. Thanks, baby. I love you so much. (laughs) So the two were immediately arrested, obviously, and put in jail in Ohio. And it was later discovered that a prison guard had let George Hyatt use his cell phone to arrange the escape with his wife. 
And a search of his, George's property at the prison revealed a charger, a headset, and a cell phone stuffed into a peanut butter jar. So that is how they were arranging things. So at their first court appearance in Ohio, the judge told Jennifer that they were going to be extradited to Tennessee. And it was just like kind of formality hearing. But then the judge said, you know that there is the death penalty. And in Tennessee, and she was like, wait, what? And so she was like, no, I don't want to be extradited. So she was fighting extradition, and and George just was going to also be extradited, and he just was like, in the courtroom, he told his lawyer, I don't want to leave without her. I don't, I don't want to leave her. I don't want, I'll do whatever she says. Right. So they were held in Ohio for 90 days, and then they were finally extradited. And then from that prison cell, Jennifer got the bug, the writing bug. And oh. she, yeah, she was like, I finally have time to sit down and write, write my novel. Yeah. <laughs> so she wrote letters to her family, to her husband, and she started a memoir that she titled A Modern Day Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So to her family, she wrote things like, it's, it's kind of bizarre. She wrote things like, hello up here from Ohio. How's everybody doing? How's everybody? This finding wonderful, I hope. As for me, I'm doing very well. Like just Weird. very breezy. She signed some of her letters Bonnie and called her husband Clyde. And at the bottom of one of the letters, she was like, this whole Bonnie and Clyde thing kills me. So to George, she wrote, I love you so damn much. And still nobody can understand why. It's like, yeah. You know. Like they killed someone. You killed someone. Yeah. So in her letters, she repeatedly insisted that she wasn't brainwashed She wrote that her husband tried to talk her out of the breakout and that she took control of the situation. She apparently looked at her actions as like liberating. She said being able to make her own choices was an awesome, peaceful, and serene feeling. And she wrote to one of her aunts. She said, my mom thinks that I shouldn't be held responsible and that I'm crazy and that I've been brainwashed. She just doesn't want to face the fact that I killed someone and I did it in cold blood. Oh my God. What an idiot, dude. So... George and Jennifer, who had previously, Jennifer had no prior criminal record, um, were both extradited back to Tennessee. They pled guilty to avoid the, the death penalty, and they were both sentenced to life in prison. So Jennifer Hyatt has said that the two days that she spent on the lam with her husband were the best two days of her life. You had a bullet in your ass. Right. <laughs> like, could it? I mean, oh my God. I was just like, I mean, I guess they and probably- like. 20 minutes of that was spent dyeing your hair. <laughs> I mean, if you left it in for the correct amount of time. Is that the best day of your life? Could, anywhere between 20 to 40 minutes, and then you have to rinse it out. I mean, and you spent two hours with a cab driver. Like, yeah. That's never fun. Oh, my God. So in 2015, 10 years after the murder, Tennessee Department of Corrections uh, officers volunteered for shifts to stand watch over the grave of Wayne Cotton Morgan at a small church cemetery in Morgan County. Uh. Wayne was a devoted husband and a father of two. And Sean Phillips, who worked with him, said, Cotton was just a good man all the way around. He had an impact on everybody he came into contact with. He is still in our hearts and prayers every single day. You don't forget someone like Cotton. You meet a lot of people in this world, but Cotton is just one of those guys who stood out and you'll always remember. Oh, and isn't he the guard that consoled George and... Yes. <sighs> what a piece of shit. Yeah. A bunch of pieces of shit. A bunch of pieces of shit. So I couldn't find anything about whether or not they're still... Together to- in prison. Together in guess. prison and married. No. She was a... Che- she like cheated on her past... Right, and Lava's he and he was obviously, yeah. 
I mean, the fact that he had seduced two prison yeah. nurses, like, I, it's crazy. I got to show you these pictures. He is not an not attractive cute. man. No. Oh, man. Hi, yi yi. Hey. Hello, Sally. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello, Jen. Hello. Um, um, <laughs> I was taking a sip of coffee and I almost spit it out. Whoopsers. Um, how do you feel about finishing up with a nice, light, friendly love story? I mean, that's like kind of the format we've agreed to, so I'd say yeah. Yeah, it's a cute one. <laughs> Nothing's going to hurt your feelings. No, Nothing's okay. going to make you sad. Well, we'll see. Um, okay, you so don't, this is... You don't, a, know what my, you don't know what my triggers are. I don't know are. your life. This story was from... It was from a segment on the Today Show. And, oh, and on today.com, there was an article by Suzanne Sierczalski and Scott Stump. And then a, a really nice article in People Magazine by Joelle Goldstein. Oh, that's nice. So thanks, guys, for writing yeah. a nice article. Okay, People.com is like a treasure trove for love it stories. It really is. Human interest for days. They love love, just like us. They do. So, okay. So Natalie Crow first met Austin Tatum in 1999. And they were both in the same pre-K class in Ocala, Florida. Is it Ocala or Osala? Ocala. Ocala, Florida. Yeah. yeah. I think we've talked um, about Ocala before. We have? I think so. Maybe. I just um, remember telling Florida? you that I've done comedy there. You've done <laughs> comedy track. everywhere. <laughs> I did comedy um, at a horse track there. I don't want to brag. I do remember the horse track thing, though. Mm-hmm. I do remember that. Okay. So from the second that they met in pre-K, they were instantly best friends. Cute. Cute. I know. They like they had like a super, super connection, and their parents told They don't remember a lot that time, but yeah. they do remember in pictures and what their parents told them. They said that it was a very, very special bond that they shared. Like they held hands um, constantly. Then in 1999 for Halloween, Austin held his her hand in the car on the way to trick-or-treating, which is really cute. They shared another connection, which was even from birth. Like So they were both due... On Valentine's Day. They both oh. weren't born on Valentine's Day, but they were... This is an interesting little tip. Okay. Like he, Austin was two weeks early, and she was born two weeks late, but they were both supposed to be born on Valentine's Day. Isn't that cute? That is cute. So they didn't really remember every single thing, but they always knew that just from what their parents had told them and a the feeling that they had that they were like like bonded when yeah. they were little that they were just best friends and they don't remember everything but they do remember this one day clearly in their mind and that was the last day that she saw austin which was when they were five years old natalie's parents got divorced and she moved to connecticut with her brother sister and mother and she, natalie said told people magazine i remember the very last day i saw him not knowing that i wouldn't see him for over a decade my last memory of him is when we made rice crispy treats in his parents kitchen and then all of a sudden they were separated and then Aww. she didn't know that that was the last time she would see him for 12 years that's so sad so, so sad. i was wrong i know that it's a little sad <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just picturing because, you know, Max is almost four and he has like little best friends at his preschool. I, it was so wrong. I thought this was so light. It's it is. So it is sad. I know. <laughs> okay. So, 
So even after Natalie moved away, she would often ask about Austin. And her mom would tell her, like, you know, if you remember him, I'm sure that he still remembers you. You know, and it would just, like, comfort her. And so, you know, time went on and 12 years went by. And then on July 17th of 2012, when Natalie was 17, she was just a bored teenager, um, you know, it's during like, the I'm gonna summer, look on like, Facebook. snooping through her mom's shit. Oh. oh, yeah. So she was just decided to go through like some old things in her house, and uh-huh. she found her mother's old address book in a storage bin, and decided to like look through it. Yeah. Thank God it was something nice she found. Right. <laughs> her mother was living a secret life. For some reason, she went straight to the T section. Mm-hmm. You know, she just like went straight there. And she knew that, you know, his last name's Tatum, Austin Tatum. But she said that she doesn't know why she went there, but that was the first place that she looked. And she said that the whole address book was full of names, but the first name she saw was Austin Tatum. And so. It's kind of weird that her mom had a five year old's. Or address. I guess Tatum <laughs> moms, maybe. I don't know. She was um, like, I'm going to keep in touch with this five year old. Yeah. We're BFFs. She said that, you know, she immediately was like, oh my God, I remember him. And that this like feeling, this overwhelming feeling came over her. Like, I need to go find him right now. I must go to him. I must. I must. So she went on Facebook and looked him up. And they didn't have any mutual friends, but... For sure, like that, she knew that that was him when she saw his face. Yeah. She sent him a message on Facebook, and of course, he remembered her. He said, It was just like being back with your best friend that you haven't seen, which was the craziest experience for me. You can never replicate that being away from someone and reconnecting. So immediately they hit it off and made plans to get together. And it turned out that her father lived 10 minutes from where he lived. So she knew she would be going back to visit. Okay. And so she could see him. So. So they, she'd probably been going back to her dad's yeah. like all the time and just never... Yeah, never realized yeah. that he was that close. Oh. I know. And so on July 31st, 2012, Natalie and Austin organized for their families to reunite over dinner. She said, ever since that time we've been together, it was like the second I saw him, it was a friendship that had come back to life instantly. And both of the parents, sets of parents were so excited too. And they were super supportive. And they were, they said that they were just as excited as if, if not more excited than they were. Mm-hmm. Um, they were both over the moon. And so then on their second date, when they finally got to be alone, <gasps> womp, womp. Um, there was a song that came on by Tim McGraw. The song came on the radio and the song was called My Old Friend. And they knew that that was just a sign and that uh-huh. the song was, Natalie says, the song was really key to our relationship. It was so spot on to our journey. And so from 17 on, they had a long distance relationship because they were seniors in high school. Natalie was in Connecticut and Austin was in Florida. And then I, I, I said Tate, Tatum earlier. It's Tatman. So oh. Austin Tatman. Okay. Totally different last time. Totally different. So he then attended the University of Florida in Gainesville, and she went to the University of Central Florida in Orlando. So I guess they were a little bit close. That's where my brother works. Really? Mm-hmm. University of Central Florida. You know everywhere. I know everywhere. Where was the other place? Uh, University of, Flor- of Florida. In Gainesville? Yeah. I've done comedy there. I'm sure you have. <laughs> <laughs> I have. So in 2017, on the beach in, do you know this place? Fort Lauderdale. I've been there Ever too. Ever hear of it? Uh, once or twice. Okay. Uh, while surrounded by their friends and family, Austin proposed to Natalie. She said yes. 
And then they got married on April 13th in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. And at their wedding, they recreated, they kind of had like a little, like childhood nods, like all over, mm-hmm. like they had like photos of them when they were little kids all over the wedding. Yeah. But then they had this red Jeep, like a big wheel. Aww. And um, so <laughs> they recreated a childhood photo because there was a picture of them in the Jeep when they were little. And then they, they took a picture in their like wedding gown and yeah. suit in the Jeep together. And That's so really then cute. their guest book was that they had people sign. They had them sign an address book and a Aww. nod to her finding her mother's little black book that day. And so they said that while the nods to their past were an integral part of their wedding, there's so much more to the newlyweds relationship. As amazing as our story is, I didn't, this is what Natalie said, as amazing as our story is, I didn't want it to be the focal point of us being together. We have this amazing story, but the story isn't what kept us together for seven years since we've reconnected. And now they live together as a family with their dog in Fort Lauderdale where Natalie works as an event planner and a blogger and mm-hmm. Austin works in sales and um, sales sales that's what I always tell people if I'm like on an airplane and people like, are like what, what do you do, do? sales, sales. <laughs> yeah. they're like okay you're selling <laughs> jokes to people you're sales. selling dreams um, <laughs> I'm selling so, a bunch of bullshit <laughs> So when they asked her, you know, what the biggest thing she's taken away from this whole experience is that everything happens for a reason. She said, there's a reason that my mom moved us away. At first, she was upset that we left Florida where a lot of our family and friends were. But when I look back on it, if we hadn't moved and I hadn't grown up with Austin, I think it would have been... And if I had grown up with Austin, I think it would have been a lot different. I don't know if we would have been together. Um, She said, there's a reason I went through my mom's archives and found an an address book. And there's a reason that we went to separate colleges. It was kind of crazy how everything came together so perfectly. And it still doesn't make any sense to me to this day. Oh, isn't that sweet? That's really sweet. That's sweet. Yeah, but it is crazy how things like that, everything does happen for a reason. I think. Yeah. Don't you think? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think that. I feel like everything happens for a reason, for sure. Yeah. Like, when I moved here from Long Island to Georgia as a teenager, I was like, I hated it. I was devastated. It made no sense to me. Yeah. But I don't... I'm so glad that we did, because I would have been a totally different person and have, like, you know, wouldn't have met all the friends that I have. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have the husband I have. I wouldn't have the children that I have. Right. I don't know. I feel like even if it doesn't happen for a reason, I'm glad that things always work out. You could always find a reason to be glad that things worked out the way that I they agree. Did. No, right? I agree with that for sure. Right. <laughs> like, can I find something? Like, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. Yes, Sally. I'm like, I'm not going to agree to that. I'm not. Should we do something dumb and something we love? Yeah, let's... Perfect. Let's, Let's just go roll right, right into, into it. it. Yeah, segue. The last time we took a vacation together, like a real planned vacation, was when I was working as a lawyer. Uh-huh. And, and not that we haven't gone on vacations. Like we do a lot of things with his family. We get to go to the lake every week. We just haven't done a vacation when we planned it ourselves and did it. But this year we're doing it. And yeah. that's the thing I love is that we are starting to actually be adults and we're going to plan a effing vacation and we're going to go to Yellowstone and Rocky Mountain and I'm so excited and it's way far away but I just love that we're like 
planning and dreaming. And, oh, yeah. It's so yeah. fun to plan a vacation. I know. Oh, and I know. have not done that for years and years. Are so. you bringing uh, Max? Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's going to be like awesome. a, a family vacation. Yeah. That's awesome. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. So that's the thing that's dumb and the thing that I love, I think. That's great. Yeah. Well, shoot. I was going to say, well, no, this thing is dumb, but I feel like it doesn't go well after I was just saying, everything happens for a reason. Everything <laughs> happens for a reason. <laughs> but I was going to talk about that something dumb are the Australian bushfires. Yes. Can we talk about that? Yeah, we can talk about that. Yes. Well, I'm sure you guys all know about the um, mega fires. That's what they're calling it now as of today in mm-hmm. Australia that has engulfed 1.5 million acres of Australia and has, I don't even know what the numbers are of how many animals have been killed and how many, I think about 24 humans have lost their lives. Yeah. It's, yeah. And like, it's um, horrible. They, oh, they're estimating that 1.25 billion animals have been killed <gasps> in the fire. It's so, so heartbreaking. Oh God. I can't even look at these pictures are just killing me. I don't know why this happened. That's why I'm saying everything happens for a reason. I can't tell you this just is just so heartbreaking. I don't. Well, we know that a part of the reason that this is happening is climate change. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, people will start to take climate change more seriously. Guess what? Climate change is not a suggestion. It's a thing that's actually happening. Of course, whenever something like this happens, the thing that we love are the people that are stepping up and doing what they can to help. Yeah. So I did, donated to it as well. I'm sure mm-hmm. you saw it because it's all over Facebook. But there was a um, GoFundMe on facebook to help and i think the last time i checked it it was at like 30 million dollars yeah it's crazy but so you can donate there but here are some other ways that you can help if you'd like it's uh, you can donate to local fire brigades the state of the new south wales which they're especially at risk this weekend you could also donate to the families of the firefighters you can give to the emergency fund for wires which is a group that rescues wildlife and relies heavily on volunteers and donations and you can also donate to the port macare koala hospital which is uh rescuing all of the injured koalas right now in south wales it's so heartbreaking and um you could also the salvation army disaster appeal and the Bushfire Appeal Fund, both set up by the St. Vincent de Paul Society. So those are some ways that you can help. That's awesome. Thanks for finding those. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's end on a positive note. How uh, do we do? How do we do? How do we do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, oh, we got something. So Sally and I will be performing together. Woohoo! Um, we're taking a little vacation. And we're, we're taking, taking our families with us. We're, we're taking the whole crew. The whole crew. We're going on a vacay. We're going to Hayesville, North Carolina. Have you heard of it? It is cool. It I is cool. I believe. It's cool. If you live up in Hayesville, North Carolina, we will be there January 25th. Mm-hmm. Yes, we'll be there January 25th. Um, and we'll post more details of where, I don't even know, where are we going? I have no idea. I don't know. Just, I just just say yes to the dress. So. Yes. <laughs> our our friend Andrew was like, hey, "Do you guys want to do a show in a mountain town?" And we were like, "Yes, we do." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're gonna get a cabin. <laughs> yes. And but we also perform together pretty regularly in Atlanta. So if you live in Atlanta, just check out either one of our Facebook 
books our Instagrams and you can see when we're going to be performing. We yeah. performed together last night. We, we had were a great together. time. We were great. We were, we were amazing. We, we were amazing. The crowd was all right. <laughs> <laughs> we were amazing. We were okay. <laughs> so, all yeah, right. Come see us out in the world. Um, and if you don't live close to us, then, uh, you know, hit us up on the internets. Yeah. Tell us where you would like us to come. And yeah. maybe we'll make more vacations out of it. Yeah, we'll make some more vacations. Let's and get a, hit us up on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter at Dumb Love Podcast. Or you can please send us your stories at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Sounds great. Sounds great. And uh, hey, get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum, dum-dum, dum-da-dum, 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 dum-da-